What Would Ben Do is an invitation to join five entrepreneurial friends at that loud table in the corner. Meet Ryan Ben, Matt Breach, Charles Chang, Richard Pollock, and Ian Walker, and hear their frank discussions on the unique challenges and triumphs of building a business in the dynamic natural products industry. Welcome, everybody. I'm Ian Walker from Hippie Snacks and Left Coast Naturals, and I'm here with the crew talking about with What Would Ben Do, WWBD, our podcast, sharing our entrepreneurial lessons. Today, we're going to be talking about people and culture, which is a big one for us entrepreneurs and any business. It's pretty much the vital element of, of your business. And um, so, yeah, I'd like to kick it off to just throw it out to the group around what you think, because it's funny, it's a common question we get all the time. What is the secret sauce? Like, What's the important elements in your minds around um, people and culture? What makes a great company in that aspect? Who wants to go first here? I'll say Ryan. Well, putting me on the spot, well, at least you started it off by introducing that you said it is the secret sauce to anything. And it's what the big part of it is for all of our businesses. I couldn't agree more, by the way. Um, you know, I think it, to start off the conversation and go at the, at the very highest level, I think you have to, you have to create a workplace that's desirable for people to work at. So just starting at that highest level, it is not what I think makes the secret sauce. But at the end of the day, if, if you're not able to create a place that has some kind of magnetism to attract talent, then you're always going to be fighting an uphill balance to go that uphill battle to go after that uh, that talent. So how would you how do you create that workplace? I think there's you know a myriad of different things, and that's probably what we're going to get into. But I start off the dialogue by saying that creating a, a great environment that attracts talent um, is is fantastic. Um, you know, leaning in a little deeper, one of the things that um, I've realized in, in my tenure and, and, I, and I've got a lot to speak on on this topic, like most of you guys would as well, but is we often fire for culture as much as anything else. We, we actually talk to our team uh, a lot about our values driving our hiring criteria, um, job performance um, and job evaluations. So, you know, our values are at the pillar of our cultural experience and our talent acquisition strategies. And we are first and foremost, uh, if there's anything I've learned and it took a long time was that I say, um, I will terminate energy vampires on spot. So when I walk into the office and I find repetitive meetings or interactions with individual that take away positive energy, because I'm such a positive guy, um, that, is a, that is a time to transition that employee out and, and look for a new solution. So. To start maybe the dialogue, maybe a few grenades. Maybe I put it to the to the group. I know Charles, you mentioned it before. Talk to us about core values and values alignment. Yeah, I think that core values are the foundation upon which you build a culture. Uh, and first of all, you have to make sure that they're really clearly defined and they're kind of bought in by everybody. Um, so if you don't know what the values are, how can you possibly understand a culture? What is a culture? Some of the values, right? So, you know, at Vega, our big thing was we did in small groups when we were about 30 or 40 people in small groups to find what are the things that are really most important to us that we want to exhibit and, and do every day to ensure that we can work the best together, just like how a family has norms. This is really critical. So 
we think that like like Ryan said, like actually hiring on the merits of alignment to values is actually even more important than alignment with experience or smarts or or, or education. Um, and so once you define those those values, and, and again, we did in small groups, we all kind of voted on it. We said, okay, here are the things that we think are the most important. And for us, it was uh, showing the highest level of integrity in everything we do, taking total ownership, being performance driven, being passionate about customer service, and having fun as a team. Those are the things that we lived and taught every day. And each one of those uh, core values would have a subset of behavioral traits or attributes or actions or behaviors typically that we could objectively say, hey, are you actually meaning that or not? We can't just say, well, you know, you're annoying. We have to say, well, you didn't actually show the highest level of integrity because you didn't mean what you said. You said this, but you actually meant that, and that's not showing integrity. And once you can define that and have those conversations or difficult conversations and not be afraid to have the conflict because you're protected by the adherence and alignment to values, now conversations are authentic. Now people won't take offense to when you call someone out on something because, hey, we're all trying to live and share and teach these, these values. That allows for a level of communication interaction that only high-performance teams can, can have. Um, and so I always start with that. So if you have that, then you can build upon that. You can build trust. You can build risk-taking. You can build you know, very constructive feedback and criticism, but from a position of love. All that great stuff happens if you have a line of support values. You know, I think one of the things we face in this industry, which is a really positive, is is that there's a we're in an interesting industry that a lot of people want to be involved in. And so, um, you know, Matt, you mentioned that a bit earlier when we were talking about mission alignment. I don't know, maybe you can touch on that and then and then tuck into your the secret sauce at Tallgrass. Absolutely. Thanks, Ian. Yeah, Matt here. You know, the uh, the thing about culture is that every business has a culture, whether you define it or not, it's there. And it's just a question of uh, being upfront about it and really, uh, and, and, you know, definitely celebrating and praising, uh, but also, you know, if there's challenges and we feel like we have very clear core values and we're very upfront with our team about it. And we found ways to celebrate those core values. We have our monthly rock stars. So everybody nominates each other and they refer to a core value that they are appreciating about that person. It could be you know, respect and appreciate everyone's contribution. It could be nurture each other and ourselves. It could be, you know, follow through, honor the trust people place in us. We have these core values. And um, and absolutely. And so you got to praise and, and celebrate. But also when things don't feel right and there's something wrong with uh, something, somebody's behavior, if you think about it, oftentimes, like pretty much, pretty much guaranteed always it relates back to one of the core values not being respected and so then as if you can coach and mentor to, to kind of like course correct on, on core value misalignment and get people you know back on track then that's a really powerful learning tool um and 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 sometimes you can't and then people uh that just aren't going to figure core values then it's okay uh and they might be happier working somewhere else right so you know and on the mission thing it's, it's you know we're, we're all we all work in mission-driven businesses you know there's a real purpose there's a higher purpose to what we do we're not just here to make money we're here to make money that's important because if you don't make money you can't you don't have a business but you also like we're here to make the world a better place and support communities and support the environment and, and, and support people's health and wellness and so um that's a really awesome higher aspiration that you know uh that not everyone is going to be attracted by that and so if you put that out there front and center, like this is what our company's purpose is, this is what we're here to do. We want people that are into that. We find that we were able to attract really quality talent 
because they could basically work anywhere they want, right? And but if they see that, like their own personal values and their, their desire to, you know, the, the impact that they want to have in the world aligns with what we do. Like we have we have people that come to they're like, I, I only want to work for B Corp. You know, I, I don't want to work anywhere else. I only want to work for B Corp. That's awesome. We're like, hey, we're at B Corp. Fantastic. Come work for us. And so we're, we're finding that there's more and more people that are thinking that way about their careers now um, and wanting to align themselves with organizations that do want to have a positive impact in the world. And so how do we stand out? Are we going to necessarily pay the very, very highest top dollar salaries compared to, you know, some of the, you know, the tech titans or something? I doubt it. Uh, but that's okay, right? Because there's other things that people want to have when they come to work that they'll, uh, that they'll value as well. And so, um, yeah, so we really try to have those conversations. Yeah, it's, uh, it's funny. You have a rock star award. We have a superstar award. <laughs> so pretty similar. It's like we a give cheesy... them an Elvis bobblehead. They, they get Elvis in, on their... Well, ours is a cheesy, ours is a cheesy, like, dollar store uh, bracelet that says superstar on it. Superstar! Superstar! Yeah. yeah. Um, Richard, you have some thoughts on the, uh, the general secret sauce with regards to culture and, and uh, employee engagement? You know, it's interesting. So we've got some people with us that really help drive the whole idea of passion. And, and for those of you who know me, I'm a super passionate guy. And we've got a set of core values that we've set up and, and a mission really around passion and really around my personal belief that um, this is an adventure. And by this, I mean life. And that anybody coming um, into our business, um, the thing I say to everybody is, you know, first of all, we lay out what our core values are and, and mission statement for the company. Um, but it really comes down to, um, something I'd read in the last lecture. And um, I can't remember the exact quote, but it's really about, listen, you're going to die. And you're going to die a lot sooner than you could have ever imagined. And what I mean by that is you can be 250 years old sitting on that cliff watching your last sunset go down, and you're going to think, holy shit, that was short. And that's 250 years. So imagine in in a 60-year span or whatever, 80-year, 90-year span. So I say to everybody, this is something that you've got to love doing and enjoy and have fun doing and be passionate about. Because, And that's really the number one criteria for everybody we bring in. And you can discover that really quickly. Passion is something that you can't fake. Um, and basically, we know within three to six months whether they have that passion. Hopefully, it's in three uh, we figure it out. And then everything else out of that, if they have, have the passion for our brands, our company, our industry, they fit our core value and our mission statement, then there's nothing we can't teach. And there's nothing we won't teach. And there's nothing we won't train for. So that's really, for me, that key criteria is that, that joie de vie, uh, you know, and, and really looking at what would Ben do. Again, it's like Ben had this incredible joie de vie. And you know, in the conversations I've had with him in the past too, it's he wanted to surround himself with people who had that zest for life and lust for life and, um, and lust for what you're doing. So really for me, that's how we sort of integrate that culture and mission uh, with that over that, that passion bubble, if you will. Yeah, I, I love that you bring passion into it. I'm curious to the group, just I was thinking while you were talking there, does do do people is it so is it all through hiring like are people innately passionate and energetic and they bring it 
or do they come in and they feel it in the culture of the business or the vibe of the business and they start behaving that way? So is it the person or is it the company culture that, that creates that? I'd open it up if anybody has any thoughts on that. I can jump in, Matt, here. I think uh, people, when they start, uh, you know, you're always a little wide-eyed when you start a new job, right? And so um, probably like hiring the right person who is open to working in an entrepreneurial environment, who's excited about, you know, the purpose of the business, we, we try to screen for that. But we also try to make them feel welcome so they're not all tentative and nervous. And, and one of the ways that we've been doing that is actually... <laughs> It becomes quite time consuming, but we, it's an investment, but we get them to connect even for 15 minutes with everyone in the company. We have like 80 employees. So that's like a pretty big time commitment, but that's like their first week or two is just talking to everybody. But then they've met everyone and they know everyone and they're like, oh, I know who you are. I know what you do. Oh, hey. And like, you know, and it goes by pretty fast if you're hiring new people all the time. It's like, oh, here's a new person. Here's a new person. Oh, you're not the new person anymore. And, and so it really helps onboard them um, and make them feel comfortable so they can maybe show up. Uh, as their, their, their authentic selves and have fun coming to work, hopefully. Of course, not everybody thinks of work as fun. Some people are a little uptight about work and they're very professional and very conservative. Uh, and depending on the culture of your business, that might not be the right environment for them. You know, that might be the wrong. <laughs> you hired somebody out of the Royal Bank that likes the Royal Bank and then suddenly they come to, you know, a tall grass. They may be like, whoa, this is kind of not, not, not my cup of tea. And that's okay. Yeah. Ryan, you want to add something? Yeah, and I think that, you know, Matt, you brought something up really important there. And, you know, as I was listening to you guys and thinking of, you know, how do you filter and how do you increase your odds of hiring the right person, all that kind of stuff. I think one of the, the characteristics that we really look for is that team dynamic as well. You know, you brought it up with 80 people, 15 minutes each. But um, and then you said, you know, sometimes maybe a more conservative approach to work. And I, I was trying to think it's not so much that I would argue that our desired um, culture is, is, you know, uniform in, in the value set. It's, it's their interpretation of the values, but it's how they display them in a team environment. So sometimes, you know, uh, hard for me not to relate to sport with my background, but sometimes you need a, a stay-at-home defenseman in ice hockey to, to match up really well with an offensive, aggressive, maybe doesn't look behind them too often, takes chances kind of role player. And, you know, so really understanding the team dynamic and maybe what would make a great addition to your optimal team. I, I think that purview for us has served us really well instead of necessarily hiring every single time for the exact right fit for that exact role, more like what's the fit for our culture? What's the fit for our company? What's the fit for the team? And Matt, you kind of triggered that with that, with your thoughtfulness there. I love how you how you completely clarified that this is a Canadian group of business people here with the hockey reference. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, you know, hiring's been brought up a couple times. Um, you know, I'd be interested people's approach to hiring and 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 um, things you do around hiring. You know, to build on culture and to bring those right people into your team. Anybody want to jump on that one? Goats, Charles. Um, you know, hiring for a fit is so important. Um, again, even more important than experience, education, any of those things. Um, and it, it's we learn that kind of the hard way too, because often we would find someone who had the perfect right experience and say, "Oh my gosh, we'll just be able to jump right in and do it." But if they didn't share our values, very quickly we'd realize that they'd rub people the wrong way. They wouldn't get the cooperation they couldn't have all the constructive feedback and so they just wouldn't work in our company so fit was so critical that i did the final interview for everyone up to about 100 and 
20 or so people. I did the final interview for Fit still. Mm -hmm. um, we, we were at, at about that point, I just sort of went to just doing that for managers. But before that, every single rep, every single person in the company I did that for. And that's how important it is um, because with the right fit, you can do almost anything. And back to your last question about is it nature or nurture? Um, I really believe it's nature. You, it's, it's very hard to change people very much. You can help ensure their success by hiring the right person and giving the right things, but to hire the wrong person and think that your culture can change them, I think is, uh, is unlikely. And so better off to make sure that you spend the time up front in making the, the right decision. And there are lots of ways you can do that. Obviously having numerous interviews with different, you know, you want to interview people above, below, alongside you. Um, we also do like personality testing, aptitude testing. For high-level roles, we do like case study testing where people have to do real-life environment, actually work in real time to show how they might work with others on their own. Um, you know, the more that you can do up front and try, I don't, sometimes we fall in love with someone right at the beginning because they think it's really cool and we want to hire them so bad. Those often, some they can often become the worst hires because you're trying to just validate why they should be there versus taking an approach of, I really want to make sure I fully understand and that when they come in, they have the highest chance of success. So, um, you know, that, and that's the foundation of, of a lot of these, you know, hiring programs, like top grading and so forth, is to be very critical uh, early so you can be very not critical later on and enjoy their your great employees. It's, it's funny though. Oh, I, I just, Sorry, go, go ahead, Ian. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I, uh, you know, I've noticed that um, how I hire has definitely evolved and changed over the years, you know, 25 years now, certainly in the earlier years, I probably fell down getting wowed by people's resumes. You know, you'd be like, oh my God, this person has all these skills. And like, I know nothing, especially if you come into the industry from nowhere, you're like, I need to learn how the hell to produce food and how to do this. And so you get wowed by that and enamored and it's kind of like um, the way that you think through things in business. Sometimes you do a lot of ticking boxes instead of sometimes you eventually come back to your gut. And I really do focus a lot on who are these people? What are they like? Like when I interview people, they're a little bit kind of like, why aren't you asking me any questions about what work I've done? I just want to know who the hell they are. And, you know, I leave the skills aptitude stuff to the recruiter and, 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 and we do 360 as well. We do side people beside them, people above them, people below them. Everyone else is jumping all over that. So they can do that. But what am I going to do? I'm going to talk to them as a person, <laughs> figure out if they kind of vibe with what makes sense. And do I get a great feeling out of that? And it's so funny that you go back to gut, you know, after a bunch of years. And, and it really does show up. The people that I wasn't so sure about, but they ticked all the boxes. Gosh, they never worked out. You, you know, you want them to. Um, so it's, you know, and that's one of the, one of the lessons that I've learned for sure is, is, is to, to, to go back to that gut a little bit. Yeah. And I was, so, you know, I just want to reinforce, sorry to interrupt you there. That was, that all I actually was going for was just to interrupt you, but, um, no, it was, <laughs> uh, uh, I think Charles says something really important there and I want to make sure we captured it. I've, I've also done the same thing, Charles. I haven't grown past 125 people yet, but I'm still doing it, but, um, we do a fit interview uh still to this day and and we let all our candidates know that's going to be the case as well so it's like you'll go through skill set interviews you're going to go through company interviews you're going to go through 360 interviews but fit interview is is with the president at the end and that's just to get to know you kind of thing that that's just to make sure everything is is kosher 
So that's something we do for sure. And then the other thing, Charles, you touched on as well, you said nature and nurture, and you said a word in there as well. And it's the one thing I would probably reinforce in my experience too, is I've never, I'm not sure I've ever had a success motivating someone. I, I've had success helping people find inherent motivation or helping them to target their motivation, but actually finding the start button is one of the hardest things that I've ever had to do. And, and probably without success ever, it's like either people are motivated and really, um, could use help in channeling that energy or else it's probably not the right fit. I mean, I, th I think a lot of these lessons we didn't, at least I didn't, maybe you guys are quicker on the uptake than I am. These weren't lessons that we learned the second we started a business. You know, you had to make some mistakes to learn some of these lessons. So I, I'd be really curious if, if people are willing to share some, some screw ups uh, that, that helped you learn some hard lessons. I can certainly think of a few um, and Richard's going to jump right in there. Yeah. So um, we'd been growing at a pretty prodigious rate. And so my whole belief was I needed a sort of almost a CMO, not quite, but a director of, of marketing level. And so I got um, really excited by an individual, um, ticked all the boxes exactly as everyone had said. Um, but there was some questions around culture and, you know, things within her first or this person's first week sort of showed up where, um, we were at an industry dinner, we had flown in and in front of an entire table of people, um, just sort of said, well, found out that we had to go from a trade show to a dinner right after and made a big scene at the dinner table. This is within her first week. And I knew right there in my gut that I had made a mistake in hiring even though she ticked all the boxes, super high level from on paper, super high performer. And I should have right there, I'd written a termination notice uh, that night after the dinners and everything else. And I never sent it. And it took me another three months to actually terminate her because it wasn't a fit culturally. I knew it right then and there. And it was sort of coming back to um, what people always say, and I think Ryan says that a lot is, uh, hire slow, fire fast. And, mm -hmm. uh, and I just, you know, it right away. And it was all on culture. All the boxes were ticked, had all the professional, uh, pedigree and experience, but culturally wasn't, wasn't a fit. And I just didn't realize it and didn't have the strength or courage to, to, to make that decision to, to say, Hey, I made a mistake right off the bat. Ryan, you want to uh, tag on that or share your uh, your uh, maybe mistake on? Yeah, I do want to, I want to tag on it and then I'll share uh, share one of my mistakes as well. But uh, but the funny tag on that is I was at that dinner, and and not only was I at that dinner, uh, like I remember distinctly that impression. So just to go to as far as how hard that is, and this isn't even my company. I've got nothing to do with it. No vested interest. It was literally though a first impression of an individual I'd never met before, and I was like, wow, that was not the not the impression i would have expected in, in this kind of a role and, and that like however many years this is later i don't know five six seven years later here i am and i can vividly remember my impression of this individual going wow that's a that was an odd pick um yeah and you came over to me and you told me right away you're like dude what'd you do that and i'm like i'm yeah. not sure <laughs> so uh so i did there's stand moments because you know when we interact with people we remember these things for sure my uh my mistake that i've made a couple times and and ian i again i, I couldn't agree more and 
people management is probably the thing, the most important thing we all do. And the most important thing that many of our listeners are gonna do. So there's no doubt this is a lifelong journey. And and man, I wish I learned a lot of this stuff faster. And I feel like maybe you need some beatings in order to actually have all this settle in even after you hear it. But the one for me that if I was pattern-based that I realized my mistake, because it's a, it's a really tough situation is over-promoting. You know, you have talent, that person wants to move up inside your organization and you, br you break your own rules in order to accommodate that growth. It sounds amazing, right? You're like, I'm accommodating their growth. I want them to grow in my organization, et cetera, et cetera. But inherently, if the role isn't there or the wrong person for the role, and I've done it before a couple of times, and both times that I can distinctly remember, what ended up happening was I lost a phenomenal employee who was doing a sensational job in, in their, for themselves and for our company. And because I just didn't have the courage to say, you know, maybe you're not a people manager or you're, you're a personal performer or maybe that's not the right fit for you, even though I know you want growth, that, that my own insecurity and my uh, enabling of that growth um, cost my employee and, and in our business by, by losing great, set, great team. Isn't that called the Peter principle that everyone rises in a hierarchy, everyone rises to the level of their incompetence? Oh, nice. That's a thing. Yeah, I would I would put that in as as um, to some degree the the opposite is also true though Ryan where you because that's one of the mistakes that I know we've made is either a not doing really effective or consistent career development plans for people you know and especially if you have a bunch of different managers certain managers are better at it than other ones even if you create a template they may not even ask the same questions or kind of communicate it well enough. Um, and, and we've had many situations even where we've, we have a plan for somebody and the management is talking about it, but that's not being filtered down to the employee very well. And then they go and leave and you're like, damn, no, we had plans for you. Like I, I, I and, 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 and you thought that that had been communicated, but it really hadn't been communicated well enough or that it might not have been a clear enough timeline and you didn't get alignment on timelines together. And I think that um, especially these days with the next generation of employees, they're impatient to move up. Like, let's be honest. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we even had one recently where, you know, we had plans and A, I don't know if it was communicated effectively enough. And I don't think our timeline that worked for us worked for that person. And so it, that's a really tricky one to manage, but you, you definitely have to manage it, especially with this next generation coming in. You don't have the runway of patience. There's a lot of pressure to uh, accommodate what people want and, and give, you know, and I think the lens that I've learned painfully to look through is like, what's best for the business, you know, and, and try to balance that against what's good for the individual and, and their career path. But it's got to be, it's got to make sense for the business. You can't just make all the exceptions for this person. It doesn't work that way. I, I think, I mean, at the beginning, if you have a small business, you start out, I was as excited that anybody wanted to work for us at all. I was like, holy moly, someone actually wants to work here. That's amazing. You know, and I was, I was young and like, so Ben was like, we made him the president because he was like older than me. I was only like 22. We're like, I can't be the problem. Like, you know, I'm so young and he's like 20, 27, you know, he's so old, but uh, <laughs> we were, uh, you know, and, and, and as the business grows and you have the, the luxury of having like, you can get HR experts, you can get, you know, recruiters, you can get, you know, coaching on this kind of stuff. You have more process around it and you can support your team. You have managers who actually handle this kind of thing. So at the beginning, you're kind of just doing it all yourself, right? And then you're trying to, but then you fall into the kind of like hiring friends, hiring family, you know, 
And then it's hard to have a professional relationship because it's like being roommates with a good friend, right? It's like, it's kind of tricky because you just say, how do you kind of have that arm's length relationship? And then you got to kind of unwind all those early mistakes and try to move forward or, or making friends, business partners, just because, you know, just because they're pals, you know, and, and that's that, you know, I'm, I'm sure some of us have done that as well. And so, and then later on they have to exit. So it's, it's, uh, but you know, yeah, <laughs> early on, it, it, it's you're just kind of like everything is crazy and you're just trying to keep up right so you, you make a lot of hiring mistakes yeah we have we have a few where you'd hire somebody for example for the production floor and then you're trying to find somebody else for production floor and their cousin is available and then some other and next thing you know your 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 whole team is is one family so if you have to let one of them go you're kind of in trouble yeah. and so we, we've tried we actually fell into that trap a couple times a great team that worked really well together but you're like actually one of those people is not working very well we're gonna have to make the hard decision and sure enough eventually the whole group left after a while mm-hmm. and so we've tried to to avoid that side um other other lessons that people have learned uh anything from from you charles or or matt that you'd want to share on that side i think one of the ones for companies that are a little further along that have HR person or HR department is this thinking that they can then delegate um, hiring, culture, fit, whatever to HR. Mm-hmm. And that is like a major no-no. And we kind of slipped down that road a little bit for expediency because everyone's so busy with just like relying on their careers, relying on them. And that reminder that, you know what, the person responsible for the hiring is the manager of that person. And that person must take complete ownership for the success of that employee. Nothing short of that. And when you have that, HR becomes a support, um, sometimes admin, sometimes project management, whatever, but it's a support and it helps with process, but they in no way can be responsible for the outcome of the hire or for the success of the hire. They're only a helper. And I think that that's a pitfall to avoid, to make sure that you never give up that, that responsibility. And I've seen that happen in, in large companies where like the person gets the person management employee gets an employee. How do you, how do you even start that off when you inherit somebody? You got to be the one that, that totally vouches and totally puts your, your entire uh, focus and support uh, on the person you choose. So I think that's a pitfall to, to avoid. I agree. Yeah. Matt here. I think that that's absolutely true. You know, at our company, the managers are in charge of the, hiring and coaching and mentoring their team and training and all those things and exiting if necessary that all lives with them and hr is there to kind of provide consistency across the organization so different managers are doing different things like just make sure everyone's on the same page and 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 share best practices but yeah it's the manager that that grows and leads their team of course there's always a mistake you can do you take your kind of you know your top performing salesperson you promote them to sales manager because they're a great salesperson just because you're great at sales doesn't mean you're gonna be a great manager of people because it's a very different skill set right and people have this perception that like, oh, the manager is like, but it's, it's, it's only certain people that should be managing other people. And other people are, are, are you know, they go, go get a lot done and it, they, could be, they could be in finance, they could be in product development, doesn't matter. But the skills to do the job really well are not necessarily the skills that lead to like great managers and, and coaches of people. Yeah, I really see uh, the, the, that ownership is super important. You know, that's where I agree going back to what a couple of people said you know, I'm involved in hiring sort of for that fit and that the managers are make the decision for the people that are going to be their team. So you can take ownership in that decision. You know, even even little things like um, now that we've gone to electronic uh, payments, I don't do it anymore. But for I want to say like 20 years, one of my favorite things was actually handing out paychecks. 
every single employee, I'd hand them their paycheck and thank them. You are because old. Because it was just, what's that? You are old. I know. Old school, anyway. I'm old school, but I like that. There was a, there was a, it was a chance to thank people. It was a chance to connect and that, that ownership take real being connected to the team. Um, I mean, I think is so critical. One of the lessons that I was going to share, you know, one of the things we really worked hard at, at left coast and hippie to, to build a real collaborative team culture, a supportive one, something that's fun. And, you know, I think one of the things we fell into a little bit is the trap of creating a ton of perks, you know, so then we, we, we created, you know, a gym and we had to have personal trainer coming in and we had a masseuse come in and, uh, and we, we gave free meals uh, and, you know, all of these things are super important and they're part of it. One of the things that I think that we maybe fell down on, and I, this is my hard lesson, was that perhaps we were a little too much around support and team culture and everything. And we might not have been focusing enough on actual performance. And, and, and what can happen in that dangerous scenario where you put the love out and the support and the care and the, and, 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 and the perks, but you're not as focused on performance, is that entitlement creeps in. And we fell in there, I would say. And that was a hard landing. We had to... You know, we were kind of like, okay, enough is enough. And we were, we did a we do an employee survey every year, and it started showing up in the employee survey because people hate high performers hate having low performers next to them because they got to pick up some slack. And you realize how that can destroy your culture and everything you're doing great over here and spending money on and tending time on gets destroyed without that. So that one year, gosh, we changed. We had I think about fifty to fifty five people in our company at the time. We swapped twenty two people that year. Because wow. I stepped back and I said, I want everybody to be an A player. So I want everybody to look at it and go, is this the person you want on the bus? Is this the person that you think you can build your team on? And if not, you need to figure out how to get them there or figure out how we make a change. And that was a hard landing. And I, I wish we'd kind of just more manage that better. Um, Ryan, you're raising your hand to maybe tag on this. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I guess then one of the humbling experiences of doing this podcast, especially when we talk about mistakes, is every time somebody said, this is one of the mistakes I've made, I'm like, yeah. Um, so, so it's humbling, right? And it, it's, it's sharing the importance and sensitivity of this journey. But same, same thing, Ian, we, we over-focused on the group and the perks and maybe lost, um, well, maybe the lesson I learned from that is the importance of, um, we actually have a program in the company now, but the importance of, um, personalizing compensation. Um, and when we say that, we actually mean we hold like a little, a little chunk and whether you call it maybe like 10% of, 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 or 1% of compensation, but it's things like birthday presents where we said, let's move this out of like a corporate culture kind of budget. And let's move this into no, an employee at that level is going to get a couple hundred dollar gift, but that's going to be really personalized. It's not going to be super generic for the whole company. It's going to show that we're listening and we care and that it's personalized for that employee. So we kind of have a personalized compensation that would go same thing for maybe a holiday gift or, um, you know, family or time off and, and a few of the little tweaks where we can, we can put those together. So um, personalized compensation is a really important thing that's been working well for us. Um, but that goes back to HR can't do that. Managers do that because, because HR is not able, HR, Matt saying, you know, standardizing across the organization, which I a hundred percent agree with. This is getting around, you know, people management and, and really being, 
um, thoughtful and caring and adhering to the to the cultures and the values and, and listening to the employees' perspectives. So um, just to just to say, I got caught in the same trap as you, Ian, uh, on too many perks that cost the company a lot of money that we were actually seeing were um, potentially breeding negative consequences versus even just um, impartial impartiality. Um, so that was that was good. Charles, you wanted to add something? Yeah, nothing makes people happier than feeling successful. So if you don't have goals for people where they can objectively believe that they're successful at something, they're not going to be happy. So you can talk perks all day long. Perks don't create happiness. Happiness is when you're achieving things, you're improving, you're learning, you're growing, um, you're kicking ass. So you need to set up an environment where that can happen. In order to do that, you need to objectify what is performance. And you need to make sure that people know how to get there and that they have the tools to get there. You need to celebrate when they get there, be it through reward, by praise, be it by comp, be it whatever. Those things have to happen. Do good, you're rewarded and recognized for good. Um, I think that's a critical component. And then two really important factors in order to be able to do that um, are one, teaching your people to internalize success and failure rather than blame external failures. I think that's one of the most important things in life is if you can find a way to blame yourself for good and bad versus blame external factors and reframe the conversation, you'll be so much better off in life, period. People say, oh, those retailers, they don't let me do this. Pardon me? No, 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 no. You didn't convince the retailer to, to try what we were selling. And so therefore you need to go back to the drawing board and figure out what happened there. Don't blame it on the retailer. Um, that was such a huge part of the thing. The number two is for people to welcome constructive feedback. One of the hardest things to do, millennials, oh my gosh, I'm not perfect. Um, no, you're not perfect and your shit stinks, just like the rest of ours. So being able to say, hey, um, can you give me feedback on this and be really honest and then be able to take it, takes trust, but that's part of your core values and your, and your culture. But we need to be able to do that regularly, all the time, in real time, fast, because that's what allows for learning. That's how, how you overcome these setbacks. This is how you actually um, move ahead. If someone's defensive, oh my gosh, this nut creates drama, waste time, move on. You cannot have a high-performing culture when, when that's there. So those are a couple of things I think are, are good. Yeah, it's, hey, Charles, can you speak to how you guys are setting goals throughout your organization? Yeah, quarterly goals, top five goals. Everyone in the whole company, every quarter has to set out what are the key things that they're going to do to, to basically reach their goals. Uh, and how those goals roll up to the company's goals. And so for every goal, they would weight the value, the relative value of all the goals and objectively state what those key measurable things are, right? Trying to be smart, specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, time-based. Um, and then we'd link that to them actually assessing themselves on their own performance. This is super critical, self-managed work team. So they would actually then at, at the end of the quarter um, give their review of what they thought they did. Their manager would also review what, what, the, what the performance was. And they'd have to discuss it and debate it and use constructive tactics back and forth to negotiate what actually was the outcome. And so therefore, both sides are fully in agreement of how they're doing. It isn't a top down, this is your bonus. It isn't only the employee saying, this is what I get, give it to me. It's a collaborative process. And when you do that over time, it's super powerful. Yes, Ian? No, I, I, I was just <laughs> I was just jumping in. Uh, Richard was going to go next. I was just jumping in to kind of because I know we need to start wrapping this up. So um, 
Yeah, I mean, I just I just wanted to ask a question or, uh, on that with Charles because, you know, we've set something similar up. But um, so when you're doing that at, and you set those goals, everybody's, I'm just curious, everybody's vested, you know, three months out as to what those objectives are, what those from the manager to the to the to the teammate and to, you know, up to sea level, everybody's vested in what those objectives are or KPIs or rocks or must-dos or whatever you want to call them. So is that the case? Is at the beginning, at the start of the race, everybody knows what the race is and- Yeah, every quarter there's timelines by which you have to, you have to do this. And it's not perfect, right? Sometimes you call audibles because a goal that was previously set is unattainable, it's impossible. For example, a change in regulations or a company went out of business. What, there's, there's things we have to change. But it's that constant back and forth with your manager together in agreement uh, and being very objective about your own performance. Because a lot of people live in la-la land. They think they're doing this. They're actually not. And there's this big divide between what the manager thinks of them and what they think of themselves. That's, that's bad. You want to be on the same page. And why giving the employee the ownership of their goals and how they raise them and everything gives them advocacy and a voice. And then they will have the ownership and take, take the ownership and have the buy-in that would never be there if you said, just do these. Here are your marching orders, here are your five goals, go do it. How motivating is that versus tell me within the context of our overall corporate objectives, what those key things are that you have to do. Exactly. Yeah, and I mean, you really can't build culture without everybody sort of buying into that. Otherwise, you know, there isn't that accountability and right. you can't sort of trust fall and say, hey, listen, we set these objectives. We didn't hit the corporate objective. Let's then go and do a forensic analysis of where we went wrong in setting the objective and we can do it together. So it's kind of cool. It builds on that culture. Yeah. Uh, Ryan, there's something you wanted to add and then I was going to try and wrap it up with a final question. For sure. I just wanted to leave our listeners with, with one little last tip uh, that, that um, has worked really successfully for us. And it's a, it's actually a, a software, an ASP, but it's called Bamboo. And a lot of the stuff that we've talked about has been, it's a very progressive uh, HR um, system for your company. And it's very cheap, very affordable, and really nimble and fantastic. And it's called Bamboo. So I'll just throw that out there for people to investigate, but it's the best that I've ever worked with. And we're having a lot of success with it, helping enable some of these good behaviors. You yeah. never told me about that yet. Oh, no, <laughs> Hot off the press. There you go. Okay. Um, we just set one up like that too, but it's called Humi, H-U-M-I. And uh, it's great. I, I wanted to. I wanted to ask one final question, just to that we can kind of bring it back to, which is, what is the one thing that you think people never consider around culture and people, like that that one thing that that, that that's a big consideration that people tend to forget as managers. So I just wanted to kind of finish, you know, maybe we can go around and, and finish on that one um, as kind of the one that people forget, and I, and I can start this off in that the one thing that. I've noticed has really helped us is what I'll call perspective, realizing that while we're a mission-based business and what we do is important, it sometimes pales in comparison to what goes on in people's lives. So in people's lives, there's death, marriage, birth, divorce, all kinds of stuff that goes on. And we have to rep remember that we're part of that life and that we have to support people through that and that people have a ton of stuff going on outside and we want to be a positive influence on that and, 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 and see how we fit into their life. 
because lifestyle is so important. And, and, um, you know, the days of like that, that, that you think that every worker is going to be a blind worker charging forward towards your mission. You know, I think that those are, and putting in like 14 hour days, I think those days are not there. And so you want to see how you fit into their lifestyle and how you fit into their life. And that's one thing that I consider quite heavily. Um, Matt, you had raised your hand before. Do you want to you want to tap on to either on that or on your um, your additional considerations? Yeah, a couple of things I haven't mentioned that were learnings for us as we built the company. I would say the most important thing in building a company is it's all about the people. There's all these other challenges that you can have: business, financial challenges, regulatory challenges, competitors, whatever. But really, it all comes back to the people. So in terms of hiring and getting the right people, we, we, we now do something called a scorecard where up front, you know, this is your role, these are the core values, this is the role, it's not a job description. It's like tangible outcomes of like, this is what success looks like and it's measurable, right? And then, and so we work off of that. Another really kind of funny learning we got coached on was with team members. Sometimes you have team members who are like amazing cultural fits, but they just can't really quite get the job done. Those are the heartbreakers. The flip side is the terrorism. They're amazing at getting the job done, but they're terrible for the culture. And it, it, you're reluctant to part ways with them because they get a lot of stuff done, but then you're like, oh, but yeah, they're terrible for the team. And so either way, it's tough. And actually, it's very revealing of your company culture, which type of person that you part ways with quicker. Is it the heartbreakers or the terrorists? <laughs> so, yeah. Shout out to Elizabeth on that one, eh? 100%. Yeah. <laughs> um, other right. final lessons from anybody uh, or think considerations that uh, most people don't think about? No, I mean, I'll just jump in and say, listen, you, it may be everything you live, breathe, eat, and think about, um, but not everybody is going to buy into that. And that's okay. Um, but if, as soon as you recognize that, they're not the people for you. You want people that are going to be on this adventure with you and, and buy into it. So it's okay that uh, that not everybody's going to buy in and i think you got to sort of not take that personally and just move on i think is, is an important thing to, to recognize as well ryan or matt any final words or ryan and ben, i didn't i didn't recognize the the difference between delegating leadership and delegating culture and in my effort to um build my leaders and, uh, and build a really strong team, ironically, a leadership team. Um, I failed to delink that, um, that I was also delegating culture. And I think uh, our team sensed that, um, you know, if I'm not there for the uh, Halloween costume party, or if I'm traveling too much with work and I'm not as engaged with the employees before and leading those kind of culture-based initiatives, everything from a town hall to just visible leadership to taking time with people as you walk around the, the office floor kind of thing. Um, and, and I let that ride to my, my leadership team. That's not that they don't have a role to play, but I think it was the acknowledgement and the lesson learned that ultimately culture starts at the very, very top. It goes back to the hiring for fit is a responsibility you need to take seriously all the way through. Um, and making sure everybody recognizes that culture starts, you know, right at the very, very top and, and delegating leadership does not mean you need to delegate culture. That would be my lesson learned. And it was a tough one. Okay. Final word there, Charles. Nope. 
All right. Well, uh, obviously, you can tell we're all pretty passionate about this. We've gone long for this because uh, we've got lots to say because we recognize how important this is to business. Um, really appreciate hearing, you know, even learning things today from all of you. And um, so thank you for joining us at What Would Ben Do? To wrap up, what would Ben do? Uh, I mean, obviously, I think we talked about it earlier, finding passionate people to work in your business that are aligned and are excited about your values and your mission. We certainly saw that with him. I mean, he's a, he's a, a great um, archetype of what type of employees you want to have. And um, so I would leave us with that. And thank you for listening. And, and uh, please join soon again. Cheers. Ciao, boys. Cheers. Cheers. What Would Ben Do is an original podcast by Ryan Ben, Matt Breach, Charles Chang, Richard Pollock, and Ian Walker, with engineering by Jeremy King and original music by Ian Walker. If you like the show, please subscribe and remember to share, rate, and review. We'll save you a seat at the table.